Hey, everybody. Welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm Brandon David, your host. Thank you so much for joining us. There are a lot of podcasts in the world and a lot of weed podcasts in the world, and you are here with me, and I appreciate that. Great show today. We have Arshad of their Nirvana Group, uh, which is an Oklahoma family-run, vertically integrated medical player. Uh, no wreck yet in Oklahoma, but we talk all about medical, the record number of patients that hold a medical card in Oklahoma. Oklahoma, and what it's like to sort of be a smaller market, but mighty. How do you uh, get big? How do you expand beyond other states? Arshad is a, a great, great mind, only 23 years old, wise beyond his years. Uh, it was a great episode, guys. I learned a ton. You're going to learn a ton. Tune in, listen up, get acquainted. Arshad, so nice to have you on the show, man. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excited to learn about all things Oklahoma. Uh, let's get started with an easy one. What is the Nirvana Group? Well, we're a, a family-owned, vertically uh, integrated cannabis business uh, based out of Oklahoma. Um, we uh, started the cannabis side of our business about three years ago when the medical market legalized here. And uh, now we've expanded and we've flourished to be uh, one of the largest cannabis businesses in the state. And, uh, and we're looking at other places for expansion. Very exciting. Um, why Oklahoma? Um, well, we had other businesses here prior to the legalization of medical marijuana here. Um, and it was definitely a state with a lot of opportunity. It quickly became one of the largest uh, cannabis markets in America. And, and for that at that point for it to only be medical was astonishing. Um, so it was just, you know, the land of opportunity for us. Yeah, absolutely. I remember um, when it went medical and there was some record number of patients that got, uh, that got licensed, got, got cards. It was yeah. some big number, if I remember correctly. It's almost uh, 400,000 people hold a medical card, which is about one in 11 people, um, one in 11 Oklahomans have a medical card. Wow. And why do you think it's so popular? Um, I think Oklahoma has some of the most uh, relaxed regulations for pre-existing conditions and requirements for getting a card, mm -hmm. um, which allowed a lot of people who suffer from a variety of ailments and illnesses to have access to, to medical marijuana. Whereas in some states you have to have um, more serious conditions and, and, and more documentation and doctor's visits and things like that here. If you, if you feel like you need it and you can make a case for it, then you're, uh, you're given one. Mm -hmm. um, that's often the precursor to recreational legalization. Where do we stand on that in Oklahoma today? Um, I think it's definitely on the horizon. And a lot of people are excited about it, and they're definitely pushing for it um, through the legislation. But um, it's nothing is solidified yet. You know, if it passes, we're not sure what that will look like. But we're all looking forward to it, and we're uh, definitely anticipating the day we can sell recreationally. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know in some states it's uh, more challenging as a result of that for some cannabis companies. Um, but I guess we'll see how it, how it shakes out. Um, back to Nirvana for a second, take me through the, the different portions here. I mean, uh, you're vertically integrated. What does that all entail? So we do everything from cultivating, um, to retailing product. 
Uh, we start with greenhouse cultivation. Um, we use all that product as biomass for extraction to make extracts of oils and other raw ingredients, which we then um, infuse into gummies and chocolates and juices, um, as well as, you know, pre-rolls and vape cartridges and, and concentrates. Um, we then brand those products and work, work with uh, a couple of other brands, about a dozen other brands to distribute their products alongside ours to dispensaries, as well as to our own dispensaries where they're then, um, you know, they get into the hands of consumers. How many dispensaries today? How many stores? So we have five dispensaries that we own and operate. Got it. Very cool. And so when you think about your own supply, you know, kind of what's the the breakdown, you know, is it mostly your brands? Is it other people's brands? Like what, what's, uh, what's keeping the lights on today? We've got a fair mix. Um, you can't just have, you know, one person's brands or the others because uh, consumers want variety and they want to be able to shop, you know, a lot of different products. And even at scale, it's difficult to make every single kind of product under, you know, under the sky. So we keep a good mix of both types of products. We focus a lot on higher quality and, um, you know, just, better quality products that the consumers are looking for. And, and that keeps us going. So there's this idea in Western states, largely California, that other states just want California brands and they think you're going to license them or buy them or what says you, do you think that's going to happen? I mean, we definitely see a lot of West coast brands, um, you know, expand into Oklahoma as well as into like the Northeast and, and they develop a footprint there, but I don't think consumers have, um, especially in these States that, um, have no, you know, relationship with California, like maybe in Colorado and Oregon and Washington and Arizona, you can have that influence and in Las Vegas, and Nevada. But I think once you kind of get to, um, you know, middle America and, and, um, the Midwest and the Northeast and, and Florida, um, that kind of phases out and people want, they want branded products. They want, you know, uh, products they can resonate with that have a high quality that have messaging and stories behind them, um, that people relate to just like they do in everything else. But I don't think there's this necessarily a fascination with just the fact that it's a California brand or a West coast brand. I think there's some great West coast brands that, um, resonate with people across America, but I don't think it's specific to just them. Mm -hmm. I think that's uh, that's well said. So, so what is popular? You're making brands. You're also a retailer making products. Um, what's been popular? Well, everything's really been popular, um, especially in the beginning where it was definitely a huge novelty to be able to purchase cannabis legally. Um, you know, flour dominates in sales even to date, uh, followed by concentrates and edibles. So, um, you know, everything sells. Interesting. And did I understand you correctly that you don't sell flour? Your brands don't sell flour? Did I did I hear that correctly? Or no? Um, no, we sell flour. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Got it. Um, so tell me a little bit about sort of that cultivation process. You're doing it all greenhouse or there's also indoor for the flour or it's all? Oh, it's so all all the flour we produce, we only uh, use for extraction. So it's all greenhouse. It's just more cost effective and environmentally, you know, conscious. Got it. So you're selling flour from other brands then? Correct. So, yes. Got it, got it. Got it. Yeah. That's kind of what I was asking. Why that choice? Why not um, sell your own flour? It's just something we haven't worked our way into. Um, it's something that we're definitely working on and we will have, um, you know, our own indoor line of flour. 
Um, but as we get to that point, we're working with some of these high quality producers that have, you know, exceptional product that we can still do very well with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, one of the reasons may be the, the cost structure of doing concentrates or edibles versus flowers. Uh, was that something you were conscious of, sort of the margin associated with these products? Definitely. Um, it's also, even if you make a mistake when cultivating and your flower isn't as visually appealing or a high yielding product, you can still you know, use it as concentrate for bulk manufacturing um, where you can recoup a lot of your value and it's it's a lot more versatile because you know you've got extracts and distillate and live resins, so you can uh, utilize the same equipment to do a lot of different things and turn with the market very quickly, uh, which all went into us considering which step to take next. Mm -hmm. So all this isn't cheap. Um, tell me about your fundraising history. I know this is a family business originally, but tell me about that a little bit. So we've been uh, we've been blessed to be able to grow the business uh, predominantly from uh, the inside from our initial capital put into the profits we've made. We've just kind of reinvested everything to help us expand. Uh, we've made strategic partnerships with people that have access to capital and, and have an interest, but maybe not the experience um, where we work with them to develop um, new ventures and, and, and help our business grow and help them grow financially as well. Um, but something that we're also now starting to do uh, or have started already as we expand into new markets, like uh, we're expanding into New Mexico and New Jersey, is we're working with private investors and raising capital um, to allow us to, you know, uh, purchase assets and and um, quickly uh, expand our business model. Um, whereas in Oklahoma, we waited uh, as as we made money, we did the next step. Here, we can do a lot of things a lot quicker and 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 have a better return on our investment. Mm -hmm. And why New Jersey? Why New Mexico? And you're trying to get what kind of licenses there? So uh, manufacturing and retail in both kind of to, to mimic the same model we have here in Oklahoma and then eventually to cultivation. Um, New Mexico is a great market with a lot of promise. Um, and we were already expanding a different part of our business there, our smoke shop uh, chains into New Mexico. And, and at the same time as we were exploring that cannabis went recreational there um so we saw a lot of opportunity and we decided that that's the place we want to be in and and new jersey is is kind of the same um as recreational was approved and some of the laws changed it became a market that that does have a lot of promise and um it's not as complex or difficult as other northeast states to be licensed in it's a little bit more cost effective but still shares the same uh, you know, opportunities. So it just made a lot of sense to us. Mm -hmm. um, how about like the regulatory structure of Oklahoma? I mean, you mentioned that the Northeast can be complicated. Do you think Oklahoma has done a good job with its medical program so far? Uh, every, every program has pros and cons and Oklahoma's definitely has its pros and cons as well. Um, I think the benefit was that a lot of people were able to get access to an opportunity to be in the business. Um, whereas in some restricted states, it can be so expensive with the fees and the licensing and the regulatory requirements that just to get operational can cost 10 to 50 times as much as it did in Oklahoma. So a lot of small business owners and people who may have come from marginalized or discriminized, uh, discriminated communities can now um, very easily uh, have their opportunity 
and have a chance to make, you know, uh, a place for themselves in this industry. Um, the cons are definitely that, you know, you've got um, a large number of licenses competing with each other, uh, you know, causing, uh, opening an opportunity for, you know, um, illicit uh, market activities to, to occur. But definitely now they've, they've realized that um, there needs to be a change and there, there's a moratorium coming on August 1st, which will uh, not allow any new licenses for the next two years. And they're hiring um, more regulators to be able to go and inspect these facilities and make sure that they are, um, you know, following the rules and doing things the right way. Got it. Um, I think what you walked right in my next question, you're talking about the illicit market. I think it's in many states that have gone through medical and even rec now, I think people underestimated the strength of the illicit market. What's it like in Oklahoma? Is there kind of a culture of it? Do people want to buy legal weed? Definitely people want to buy compliant legal weed because it gives them the safety and satisfaction of knowing that it's it's safe to consume. Um, I think most of the illicit market here is, un, is not uh, similar to like what you see in Los Angeles or New York right now, where you've got these illegal dispensaries Stores, yeah, for sure. that are operating exactly like legal dispensaries with menus and postings. And, you know, you can find them on Google, but it's very difficult to, to be able to tell, is this a licensed by state operation that's regulated paying taxes, et cetera, or is this an illicit operation that's just kind of working in the gray or black area. And we don't have any issues like that in Oklahoma. We mostly, I think, have it in the wholesale side where there's illegal cultivation and manufacturing happen at, happening at massive scale with little to nothing being reported to the state. Um, and most of that product just going you know, over state lines or into, um, into the black market. Understood. Um, yeah, interestingly enough, you know, uh, as you mentioned, there's certain states where there's a culture of it, and there's almost like a pride around the illicit market, which I think is hard for, uh, you know, above board entrepreneurs to understand. Um, but sounds like you guys aren't dealing with it too much, which is awesome. Definitely. Um, so you've been in this business a, a few years. How do you think? it's lived up to your expectations, both, both financially, culturally, growth. Um, is Oklahoma what you expected it to be? It's definitely not what we expected it to be. Uh, we did not really know what to expect as we got into this market, um, but definitely not what we expected it to be. But now that we're here, we're, we're happy with the outcome. Um, it's been uh a blessing to be a part of it. And definitely uh, we've, we've gotten a lot out of it experience uh, experience wise, as well as financially. So we're just looking forward to, you know, what's next and, and how are we going to just continue to do what we do? What is next? Most immediately, you mentioned the other States, but what else is next coming up? I guess those are the biggest things uh, we're, we're really looking forward to being in uh, in those states operational before the end of the year. So everything we're kind of doing right now is just working towards that. Um, so I guess that's what's next. Mm -hmm. Do you think that Oklahoma at scale can compete on its own with the rest of the, the weed markets? Uh, you know, there, there is a day where you're going to be able to go across state lines where you're going to be able to ship it in the mail. Um, 
is Oklahoma going to have the brands and the product to stand on its own? Well, I think brands can be universal, but Oklahoma will definitely have the, you know, the manufacturing capabilities and uh, the infrastructure to support, um, you know, uh, I guess, national distribution of cannabis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Route 66 runs through Oklahoma. Um, it's It's been a, a huge logistics uh, hub, whatever. hub for, for America for a long time. And I think that's going to be a huge value to the cannabis supply chain. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely... Um, definitely going to be some level where we get to play on the playing field too. That's um, I think that's well said. Yeah. It's an important piece, if not the, the brand driver that, you know, New York or California um, would be. Uh, let's talk about prices a little bit. I'm just kind of curious. I'm a big consumer in California. What's a average eighth cost out the door, maybe a, a top shelf eighth in Oklahoma? Best of the best eights out the door on average are about $35. Wow. And how does that compare to, is that pre-tax or post-tax? That's that's post-tax. Post-tax. And how do you think that compares to the quality that you would get in LA or Denver or whatever? I mean, this is like cookies, genetics, flour, or, you know, um, Jungle Boys, genetics, flour, that level of flour, 35, 40 bucks out the door. I mean, that's insane. I'm sure you're aware of some of the pricing in other states. Um, And we can talk about the tax implications of Oklahoma in a minute. But I mean, that's roughly half what it is in LA, which is wild. Um, Is that because of governmental lack of taxes, fees? Real estate is about 15%, you know, 8% sales tax, 7% excise tax. I think it's it's a supply and demand thing. There's a lot of producers, so the cost of cannabis flour wholesale, you know, is driven down. And because there's so many retailers, um, the easiest way to always compete has been price. So people compete on price, and um, they just keep, you know, trying to give better deals and better value to the customers to have more market share. Mm-hmm. And. Um... Do you think there's room for increase? I mean, how sense how price sensitive is the customer there or the patient, I should say? I think the, the customer or the patient has become uh, very price sensitive, um, especially now that they they know how low the prices can get and and where they've been for a long time. And, and systematically over the past three years, you've seen prices get lower and lower and lower. Um with a little bit of stability now, but still they're they're quite low. Um, so I think the customer is super price sensitive. But as um, the market stabilizes and matures, and uh, you know, not all these producers and and, and cultivators and manufacturers are going to be able to withstand um, for the next couple of years. So there's going to be a washout time, and then you know it'll be a lot less competitive. And at that time, prices will slowly and gradually rise up. But I don't think they'll go back to the way they were or ever get close to the way they are in California. Mm-hmm. Well, 7% excise tax is phenomenal. I mean, you mentioned the sales tax, but that's on everything. So right. <laughs> nothing special there. Yeah, I mean, we have like 30% taxes on campus here. Like It's insane how much uh, the state has screwed it up. But that's a that's a different 
conversation. Um, how are people comparing prices? How do you think people find cannabis in Oklahoma? Uh, I think weed maps and Leafly uh, definitely is huge. People check it pretty religiously and they're constantly looking for deals. Um, and just in other, you know, billboard advertising and stuff isn't as regulated here as, as well. So you can have a lot of flexibility of posting things there. So they're able to get in front of these consumers and, uh, and, and it's really just about who's got the best product at the best price. Mm -hmm. And is there a big diversity of products today or you kind of see similar brands? Overall? I think there is a big diversity and I think it's because the market was so competitive that it, it forced us to innovate very quickly. Um, and also because there's so many different producers, most of them have their own brands and they have their own vision of how they want to, um, you know, view cannabis and their product and what they're looking to get out of it and, and what their, um, their brand messaging is. So that creates a lot of different types of, you know, brands and there's always constant variety. Mm -hmm. um, is there a brand or a product that you'd really like to come to Oklahoma that you'd like to work with? Not specifically. I'm always open to meeting new people and seeing, you know, what they're, what they're making and, and, and how it's positive and then a value add, but there's not one out there that I'm, uh, you know, looking for. Yeah. Um, what's the most inefficient part of your business today? I mean, is there something that you're looking to improve that can be improved? I guess right now, the most inefficient part is just, um, is the process of customers reordering, um, you know, if uh, when they have stockouts and things like that, if we could have a more efficient way of making sure that they're getting their product before they need it and not after, mm -hmm. uh, that would definitely be a huge plus point for the retailers as well as for us. You mean on a sort of subscription or order ahead type basis, or just like in terms of marketing, like prompting them? Um, I think like an order ahead, like if they know they're running out or if we could get notified that they're running out, mm -hmm. uh, then we could have those orders ready and just, you know, make sure that they're, they're stocked mm -hmm. and not customers are coming in asking for that product and they don't have anything to sell. Mm -hmm. Understood. Yeah. Inventory is an issue in all retail businesses, as you know, uh, cannabis, cannabis alone. Um, are you looking forward to e-commerce stuff when that becomes available? I don't know what the status of delivery or if that's being talked about in Oklahoma, but is that um, something that's exciting for you? Yeah, definitely. I think delivery is 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 the next, you know, vertical in the business and um, it just creates a new avenue and a new, and a new you know, uh, way to get products out there in front of consumers. So um, it's not really something that's being discussed in Oklahoma, but it's something we're definitely excited about when it when it comes to be. And why do you think it's not being talked about in Oklahoma? It's not alone. There's a lot of states that don't want it or discuss it, but that's always a little confusing to me. Well, I think there's many different ways to look at it. I think Oklahoma right now is more focused on uh, regulating what they have and getting all their you know loose ends tied up um, and then focusing on recreational and the next steps for the state as the market matures. And I think with recreational, the conversation of delivery seems to come up. Mm -hmm. um, I, I love that some states have opportunities where, um, you know, delivery is, is kind of the thing that is not super cost and, you know, um, costing and you can easily get started and it doesn't require any real cannabis experience. You just have to really have an understanding of logistics and transportation 
um, but small businesses and people who want to have something to do with the industry but aren't sure where to start can start there. Um, but I think it's just, I think it's scary to some people, you know, because it's it's cannabis being transported around and it's something that's been so heavily regulated and policed before that it's a little, it's a little strange. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Um, let's switch gears a little bit. I want to talk about you uh, a bit. We can start with your 23 years old, which is fantastically uh, awesome. Um, talk a little bit about that and how it is being, you know, the CEO at 23. Do people look at you differently? Is it hard to do business with some people sometimes? Um, definitely had, ha has its moments uh, when it can be a little difficult or a little awkward, but um, sometimes it's overwhelming, but for the most part, it's kind of fun. Um, I've had a business in some sense since I was like 16. So when this came along and I, and I started with my parents, but they gave me, you know, the reins and the responsibility to run it the way I want to. Um, it's been a lot of fun and I've learned a lot and, um, it's, it's helped me grow as a person. And, and I think I've done a great job in growing our business. Mm -hmm. Um, Clearly, you are a smart guy, young guy. Why this business? You could be doing anything you want, pretty much. Um, so the story of how we got into it is uh, my dad got a cold email um, sometime in 2018. And uh, these guys were selling a, a cannabis business in Michigan. And uh, we knew nothing about the business, but we got this email and cannabis was cool and it seemed profitable and and at this point, like we didn't know what cultivation looked like or manufacturing looked like. We had zero knowledge or information, but just the buzz around cannabis got us excited. Uh, that deal didn't work out, but we spent the next six months trying to make something happen only to kind of, you know, get tired and and um, and uh, stop. But then a month later, Oklahoma legalized medical marijuana. So um, it's just like, well, we were trying for for so long and nothing worked out, but then here's this opportunity in a state where we already have businesses. So, you know, let's give it a shot. Maybe we can make some money. And, um, and it, it took off and, and now it's more than that for us. Very nice. Um, if you weren't doing this, what do you think you'd be doing? I'm not sure. Um, I would have finished school a little bit earlier and probably gotten a job somewhere. Um, but I think that eventually I would have come back to, to want to be an entrepreneur. Um, it's something that I've, had a passion for since since before I was in high school, and I think that it's something I would continue to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's in people's blood. Um, it either is or it isn't. Um, what kind of consumer are you? Does it play a big uh, role in your personal life? Definitely, uh, I I like to consume cannabis, and uh, I see the value in it. Um, I'm not like a stoner. Or someone who consumes excessively or um, all the time, but it's something I definitely, you know, I see the, the medical value and I also see that there's a recreational aspect to it and, it, you know, it can be positive. Do you think it's changed your relationship based on, you know, going through this business? Um, definitely. I was definitely consuming before I got into the business. Um, but after you see it, you know, firsthand, um, it does change your relationship with it. And when you see how it changes people's lives, you see it a little differently as well. Um, I, I'm definitely a different consumer than I was when I was, you know, 18 and in high school or college than I am now. Mm -hmm. And what kind of products, what do you, what do you gravitate towards? 
Uh, I like flour. Um, not huge on edibles, um, but I love, you know, old school flour rolling up a joint. That's kind of my thing. Do you roll your own joints? Yeah. Oh, well, that's a, uh, that's a key question. I always ask people, if you don't know how to roll a joint, you're in this industry, you should learn. Yeah, definitely. definitely. <laughs> Took me a while to perfect it, but yeah, no, I enjoy rolling them. It's kind of a ritual, you know, you too. It's very therapeutic. Um, like, you know, pre-rolls are so popular, but I, I never understand that. It's always, the weed's never as good in a pre-roll anyway. It's <laughs> um, well, I think that's a good place to start to wrap up, man. This has been a really great interview. Thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, any way that our audience can help you? Are you hiring for anything or anything you want to plug? Um, no, we just love their support, you know, um, and uh, just keep keep telling us if we're doing anything good or wrong. Go to Oklahoma, buy some cheap weed. That's Definitely. what you should do. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thanks again. It was great having you.